Good evening and welcome. Well, Kyle, you're not the only one that's doing something for the first time. I'm going to try using this thing for the first time. So you made it, so hopefully I will. I know the bulletin says about talking on Israel, and uh, I'm not sure what to say about Israel that you don't already know, because I think many of you are following what's happening in Israel. But it's interesting to me that this little country that is just turned 73 years old, so to speak, is, I think, if I remember correctly, is now 19th most richest country in the world. How many of you 19-year-olds are in that situation? And that's not the only thing. They're safe, they're secure. Almost too safe and secure from the standpoint that I almost think they sometimes get the idea they're in control of all things. But we know that, according to Scripture, that they're not. The biggest thing that I see that I would look at Israel for at this point is that the destruction of Damascus and the Gog-Magog war that we have, or the Ezekiel 38 war, whichever way you want to look at it. I believe those are next, maybe simultaneously. And we see the things that are happening over there from the standpoint of Turkey and Iran and all of those there. And it looks like that Ezekiel 38 war is very close and they are Israel is bombing Damascus every once in a while in order to stop what Iran is bringing in there. So either one of those could happen very quickly. My personal opinion is, is that is next on the agenda. I do not think that we, as believers that go in the rapture, will see that. I think it will happen afterwards or maybe at the same time. When Jesus was asked by his disciples about the time of his coming, he replied that it would be characterized by what? Deception. It's the number one thing that he said. Therefore, as we draw near to his return, we are encouraged to increase in biblical discernment that we are not led astray. And believe me, if there's one thing that I see, not just in Israel, but throughout the whole world, and maybe especially here in the United States, because that's where we're at, is deception. Do you actually know what the truth is about what you hear on a daily basis? If you do, be interested in knowing what the truth is, because we don't really know. First Chronicles 12.32 gives us something that I think that, sh- that we should look at 
in the day and age that we're living in. It says, and of the children of Issachar, here it was when, when the tribes were giving themselves to David after he had become king and they were, they were, were pledging their allegiance, so to speak, to him. The children of Issachar said, which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. The heads of them were 200 and all their brethren were at their commandment. They were men who had understanding of the times. Do we have understanding of the times? Do we know what we ought to do? I trust that we do. It was interesting to me as I was thinking about what to share this evening and maybe not so much on Israel as maybe some other topic, another topic, which we'll look at in a minute. But uh, on uh, Wednesday evening, there was a couple things that were brought out at, at our meeting on the faith and practice that I thought was interesting that those tied in. And then Terrell brought up this morning in 1 Kings 9, 6, and 7 um, some very good verses for kind of like where we're at today, I believe. 1 Kings 9, 6 says, But if ye shall all turn from following me, ye or your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, Notice what verse 7 says. Then will I cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them, and this house which I have hallowed for my name will I cast out of my sight. And Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all people. What do we see today? Now I realize that they went into captivity back then, but I think these, this verse really struck me, especially that last part of verse 7. And Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all people. How much anti-Semitism are we seeing today? How much are we seeing? It's, it's just unreal. And you know, we can even as a church, as individuals, we can get caught up in that. What's the definition of anti-Semitism? Can anyone tell me? What's the word mean? Boy, everybody's quiet tonight. Okay, very good. Here's the dictionary definition. Hostility toward or discrimination against Jews as a religious, ethnic, or racial group. So there's a lot of anti-Semitism going on. I mean, there's... I had to think of uh, something that I, that I heard as a, as a young boy. You called... To call someone a Jew... Or you're going to Jew someone down. That was a common phrase. That, I believe, can be anti-Semitism. You're making fun of them. 
Another one that I heard years ago, and you still hear it once in a while, and this goes both ways, but how do you create copper wire? That's right. So you're going both ways there, right? Because the, the Jews are very frugal. They make money. And consequently, it has, it has cost them, in a sense, a lot of he, uh, headaches, heartaches, whatever, because they're picked on a lot. If you see a picture of a Jew, he'll have what? See a cartoon of a Jew, what, what's prominent? And knows. And so there's all kinds of things that we can look at anti-Semitism as, and there'll be a lot more. One that maybe comes a little bit closer home is, do you believe that the church has replaced Israel? If you do, you're an anti-Semite. The church has not replaced Israel. And yet there's a lot of people today and even a lot of churches that would believe that and practice that. And so it's just something to think about. And so again at these, as we're looking at, and I think another thing that's happening here is, is that the anti-Semitism that you're seeing against Israel is going to bring about some of these things that like the Gog-Magog war could be one of them, although it would appear like they're coming down to get to take what Israel has, and Israel is very, very rich in a lot of well, in a lot of things. They come down to take a spoil, of course, is according to what Ezekiel says. Another thing that I noticed the last couple of days that I thought is very interesting: the Turkish president Erdogan. The headlines was that he urged the U.S. President Joe Biden to swiftly reverse his declaration that the 1915 massacres of the Armenians in the Ottoman Empire constituted a genocide, an action, he said, that was upsetting and diminished bilateral ties. Now you say, well, what's, what's that about? Well, if you look that up and see what all that is about, we're finally declaring that there was a problem back then, and way back in 1915. But the next headline that I've seen is this. Turkey threatens to work closer with Iran and Russia because of this. Now what does that tell you? Who are the, who are the main three that come in the Ezekiel War? Turkey, Iran, and Russia. Another thing that we see in Israel right now is that it appears like Benjamin Netanyahu's terms of, of being in the government is maybe coming to an end. He cannot, has not been able to form the government again now, and he's, I think as of today or yesterday, he has turned it back over to let someone else try 
Well, he has had the same opposition in, in Israel as what Trump had in the U.S. Netanyahu and President Trump were two individuals that were standing against something, holding something back, a lot of people believe, and I think they're right. Can anyone tell me what it was? Globalism. These were two men that were standing against it. The globalists had their agenda, and as long as Netanyahu and Trump were in power, it wasn't happening. Because you had two very powerful men of two very powerful countries that were holding it back. Now, we know that God's in control, and we know that according to what the Bible tells us, and we believe that, we know that some of these things are going to come about. And consequently, these men need to be out of the way, so to speak. How long can they hold it up? Well, they did for these four years that Trump was in, at least. Now we'll have and see what comes out of that. Maybe someone else has something that I'm not, I haven't noticed in the things that are happening in Israel. But I think we're very close to that Ezekiel war. And like I said, my personal belief is that the believers will be gone. So how close are we? The globalists are trying to have been trying very hard to get it get their agenda in. I think COVID-19 has a is factored into that. You never let a crisis get away without getting your agenda, and it, now it's wide open for them again. We'll see what happens to that, because I don't think we'll ever get back to normal, so to speak, if, if there is a normal. How many of you have your uh, faith and practice that we looked at the other evening, that the, what we voted on with you? That was another thing that made me feel that I was being led in the right way in what I was to share this evening. If you have that paper, let, just look at it, because I'm going to read the two paragraphs that were in there, then I'm going to ask you a question it's the one where we believe in the personal imminent coming of our Lord, starting at that point, to know where I'm at. It says, we believe in the personal imminent coming of our Lord as the blessed hope of the believer that we who are alive and remain together with the dead in Christ who will be raised shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and thus ever be with the Lord. The next one, we believe that at the, glori- that at the glorious appearing of the great God, Even our Savior, Jesus Christ, he will put down all enemies and take his appointed place as King of kings and Lord of lords to rule the nations with a rod of iron until he will deliver up the kingdom unto God the Father that God may be all in all. Now my question is, it talks there about what we believe about end time things. Do you believe those two statements? Well, I shouldn't ask that. You voted on it the other evening, those of you who were here. 
And there weren't very many here, but those of you who are here voted on that, and we accepted those. And I'm really glad that, if I can put it that way, that the Salem here has, to my knowledge, practiced these two things from as far back as, as I can remember, and I think Ray Yoder, and I don't know beyond that, Ray Yoder would have been the bishop before Harold. But I'm really glad those two statements are in there. But now I'm going to ask you a question, and we're going to look at the rapture versus the second coming this evening. The first paragraph, is it the rapture or the second coming? Which one's it talking about? The rapture. What about the second one? Is that talking about the rapture or the second coming? Why? I don't want to put you on the spot, but. Pardon? Correct. There's so many times that I, I see where we get the rapture and the second coming, we get them mixed up. We put one versus the other, and, and we, get them, we get them mixed up. So what is the difference between the rapture and the second coming? That's what I'd like to look at this evening. Some of these we're going to look at the verses, but I don't have time to look at all of them. But I think it's important in the day and age that we're living in that we have this right. Now, does that mean that everything that I have here this evening is right? No, I'm not saying that. And if you differ, that's fine. I don't have any problem with that. But there are some things that we should have straight. Because, again, when we don't, some of these things, if we don't have them correct, then, again, we can be anti-Semitic. And I don't believe that God wants us to be anti-Semitic at all. In fact, some people would believe if you're anti-Semitic, you're not going to go in any rapture. Well, I'll leave that up to God. So I'd like to look at some of these, and uh, like I said, I'm going to try something tonight that I've never tried. And I'm very, very appreciative to Gerald for putting this together for me. Last night at 1030, he sent me an email, and it said, finished. <laughs> and uh, I can see by what he has put together that, yeah, it took him some time, and I really appreciate that. And the format of this I found online, and I would say that I would agree with 99% of what's on here, and the 1% is not that big a difference as far as I'm concerned. So what is the difference between the rapture and the second coming? Now, I'm going to have to make sure that I know what I'm doing here. Okay, Jesus is coming for his church, the bride, up to heaven before the tribulation. Now, there's some verses there. If we want to look at those verses a little bit, and like I said, I'm not going to look at all of these verses, but I thought I would the first couple. And Linford already read John 14. 
John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in, my, in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. He's going to prepare a place for us. We are not to prepare a place for him here. And you see a lot of church people looking at it from that standpoint. We need to get everything ready for Christ to come back. That's not what it says here. It says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. In other words, that's not the second coming where we come back with him, which we'll see in a moment. But he comes for us to take us back with him. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, And to wait for a son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us up from the wrath to come. Notice that it says he delivers us from the wrath to come. Before the, before the tribulation, the rapture happens. And then, of course, we go to 1 Thessalonians 4, 14 to 17, and that's a very familiar portion of Scripture that we, we often use here. It was used again the other evening. And we know that that is where we have basically get our rapture uh, verses from, although 1 Corinthians 15 is also a part of that. For the Lord himself shall descend, and he'll come and take us. Then we, verse 17, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up, raptured up together with him in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. Big difference. The first time we meet the Lord in the air at the second coming, we all come back with him. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, For God had not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Revelation 3.10, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. So those are all rapture verses, and there's, there's more. But some that I would like to point out. Now we go to the return of the saint, with the saints, the second coming. It's titled here, the return, with, the return with the Saints, which at the second coming, that's what we do. We return with them. Which is Jesus coming with his, his church, the bride, down from heaven after the tribulation. Now notice some of the verses, Zechariah 14, 1 to 5. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof, toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a great valley, 
and half the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And you shall flee to the valley of the mountains, and the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel. Yea, you shall flee, like as you fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. So you see battle, you see things happening that will not happen at the rapture. The rapture is imminent, it's silent, basically. Except for those of us who hear the shout and the voice of the archangel. Another verse there that it gives is Revelation 19, I'd like to read 11 through 14. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. By the way, there's two white horses in Revelation. Who's riding the one in Revelation chapter 6? This is Revelation 19. Who's riding the one in Revelation 6? Big difference, I believe, is the Antichrist. I've heard a lot of ministers use Revelation chapter 6 as the coming of Jesus Christ. I do not believe that's the case. Look at it. We're not going to look at it tonight, but you look at that. There's no way that can be Jesus. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Is that the rapture? No, that's the second coming. Verse 12, his eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written, and no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his, name, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him with white horses, upon white horses clothed in fine linen, clean and white. Whenever you find that they are clothed in white linen, clean and white, you're talking about the saints. So the saints come with him. Matthew 24, 29 and 30. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and, the, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. Then shall they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So all eyes see him. All the tribes of the earth shall mourn. And so we see that that's talking about, and again it's Matthew, and basically Matthew is talking to the Jews, and here we see it again. He's telling them what's going to happen at the end of the tribulation. Well, there's other verses there. Like I said, I'm not going to look at them all. I think you get the idea here of what's taking place. The raptures that caught up in the air, in the clouds. And again, we could go to 1 Thessalonians 4. In the second coming... Oh, the other thing that we've seen on the rapture there is that uh, he appears to believers only. I don't think that's on there. But in, this, in the return with the saints, 
Jesus' feet touch the earth. We see that in, we've seen that in, in Zechariah 14.4. You know, I've, I've been on the Mount of Olives now a number of times, and every time I'm up there, I think about the fact that one of these days, that mountain is going to split, and it's going to go in the opposite direction from what you would think it would. And out of that is going to come a river that will flow down to the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea is going to become a live sea, and the scripture tells us that they will be fishing on the Dead Sea. You couldn't do that now. And so we see the changes that are coming. And again, that comes at the second coming. But Jesus' feet touch the earth. I guess that's where I'm at. If I make any mistakes there, don't be surprised. Every eye shall see him, including unbelievers. Revelation 1.7 says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. They shall, they, and they also which pierced him, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Not the rapture. Has to be the second coming. The next one. Believers. Did we go to the next one? Oh, it appears, that's where the appears to well, we'll go to the next one. Every eye shall see him. I guess I'm not caught up with where I was at. Sorry about that. Okay, the Christians are taken first. Unbelievers are left behind a shut door. Remember the parable of the, the ten virgins. Five were taken. Five were left. And when they got to the door... They were told, depart from me, I never knew you. They were left behind. But the believers were taken first, and the unbelievers were left behind. At the second coming, the wicked are taken first. In Matthew 13, 28 to 30, we see the tares. I mean, this is just one example. We see the tares. And he says, let them both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares, the wicked, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. The righteous, the tribulation saints, are going to go, will, will populate the earth in the millennium. And so you see, again, that has to be, that's, it's different. The believers are taken, the wicked are left, and at the second coming, the wicked are taken, and the, and the tribulation saints are left. Now we see the purpose for some of this is to present the church to himself at the rapture and to the Father in heaven. We see that. And the purpose for the return of the saints is to execute judgment on earth and to set up his kingdom on earth. It's why he comes in the second coming. Also, we see that uh, another purpose is to reveal the, the, the man of sin in the tribulation. Because it's according to 2 Thessalonians 2, if we would read that and should be a familiar scripture to many of us. But the Antichrist cannot be revealed until 
the bride is taken. The Antichrist cannot be revealed until the Holy Spirit is gone. The Holy Spirit leaves with the believers. And then the second coming, the purpose is to cast Satan into the bottomless pit, to bind Satan after the tribulation, and that there he will be for a thousand years. Maybe I should stop. Does anyone have any questions? Is this making sense? Do you see the difference? Maybe you don't agree at all. but it, I'm going to answer it this way. He come, Remember, he comes back out and he deceives that the people that go through the millennial have to make a choice and then he is thrown into the lake of burning fire. I forget just how it says there, but anyway, that yeah, he will be there forever and ever. But he is, he is chained for a thousand years and why is that? Why does God chain Satan for a thousand years and he established his kingdom in Jeru- his, his king his throne in Jerusalem, and Jesus lives and rules and reigns on earth for a thousand years, and then Satan's released. Why? Why all that? We are rebellious people, are we not? And even living under the rule of Christ on earth, when it comes down to where people have to make a choice, they will choose Satan and not him, not Christ. You, you, it, that's to me, is just almost not comprehensible. But that's what happens. And remember... Regardless of when we were born, when the Old Testament people were born, and when the people in the millennium are born, everyone, everyone that has ever lived on earth has to make a choice one way or the other. One way or the other. Okay, where are we at? The rapture happens in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. It's not war, it's not globally. Or there's no war globally, I should say, rather. At the second coming, it's slow in coming. In fact, you, can, you know the date. You can know the date. There is a war to 
specific locations from Eden to Basra to Megiddo or Armageddon to Jerusalem. And again, a lot of verses there that we could look at, and you can look at these later, possibly. Where is the Battle of Armageddon? We call it the Battle of Armageddon, but is it the Battle of Armageddon? Is the battle at Armageddon? I should say it that way. I think you'll find the battles at Jerusalem. But they gather at Armageddon. And when you look across that valley, there's a lot of room for a lot of armies to gather. And no, that's not the Gog-Magog war. It's a different war. The Jews have a lot of things ahead of them yet. And we are told to make them jealous. We have a responsibility to get the Jew to realize who their Messiah is. That's not always easy for where we live and everything that we do, but that is something that we are asked to do. Christians are changed. The rapture are changed. We get glorified bodies. We go to heaven. And do not marry and become immortal. We see the verses. At the second coming, people populate the earth during the millennium. Some people still die, not being changed to immortality as at the rapture. People marry, people have children, life goes on, so to speak. There's no Satan, as we just talked about. Everything should be fine. But the end Again, people have to make a choice. Rapture, Jesus descends with a shout for the resurrection and then the, and the trumpet sound. He had the individual that took this off says the trumpet noise, and I thought, that doesn't sound quite right. It's not a noise, it's a, it's a shout, it's a voice of the archangel. The next one, a resurrection takes place of all saints to immortality, to rule as kings and priests. We see that in 1 Corinthians. We also see it in 1 Thessalonians 4. The second coming, the resurrection of the martyred tribulation saints to immortality who worship day and night in the temple of God. Remember, there's going to be a difference between the bride and the tribulation saints. Only the bride goes in the rapture. Not the Old Testament saints, not the tribulation saints. The bride only. You and I have a tremendous privilege of being a part of that bride. Not sure where I'm at. I guess it's this one. Resurrection of the martyred tribulation saints. I guess I had that. Let's go on to the next one, number 10, I think it is, yeah. Occurs as a, as a thief in the night at the no man knows the day nor the hour. Festival of the Feast of Trumpets. That's the one area that I would, I don't believe that 
it's going to be on the Feast of Trumpets. I used to think that way, probably even have told you that before, but I think the feast of the festival, the Feast of Trumpets, again, is for the Jewish people. It's a Jewish festival. And if it's a Feast of Trumpets, then we can know the day. So I don't know, but I would, I would question that one. But it will happen as a thief in the night, and no man knows the day nor the hour. We are definitely told that. The second coming occurs at the end of the seven-year tribulation. The exact day is predicted. Three and a half years or 1,260 days after the abomination of desolation that Daniel so plainly talks about because there has to be a third temple and the Antichrist goes in and says, you're not going to use the temple to worship your God, you're going to worship me as your God. And from that point on, 1,260 days, I mean, the Bible is very clear that it's three and a half years and 1,260 days after that. So again, you have an exact date for the second coming. The rapture is likened to the abduction of the bride during a Jewish wedding. We've all, all, a couple times already here at church, we've looked at that, where the groom comes at whatever hour she, the bride doesn't know he's coming, has no idea when he's coming, but when he comes, he takes her and he takes her back to his house that he has been preparing for her. And it, that starts the, the seven-day bridal week. And then the second coming is likened to the marriage feast, which occurs after the seven-day bridal week, returning from the wedding. And you also read, and I don't know the exact scripture, but it just comes to my mind now, you also read about how there will be wedding guests. Who do you think the wedding guests are at the marriage feast of the bride in Christ? Who are the wedding guests? Could be. Somebody else that I'm thinking of, but I think that's very possible. But I guess I see the tribulation saints being part of that, the guests that come. But remember, only the bride is the bride, not the, not the rest of them. What did I do? Hit the wrong one? Yeah, I did. The rapture, the dead in Christ rise together with them. The living will be changed into their new bodies and leave earth with Jesus. We've looked, basically looked at that. But in the second coming, we return with Jesus in already resurrected bodies riding on white horses. If you don't like riding horses, get ready because that's where you're going to be. Jesus returns as a savior from wrath. He takes us before the wrath. And in the second coming, Jesus returns on a white horse full of wrath. Totally different person. And that's where the Jews missed it. The Jews assumed that he would come this way the first time. And he came as a savior. And the second time he comes as a king. 
King of kings and Lord of lords. The rapture is for the church only, those in Christ. The second coming is for redeemed Israel and Gentiles that are saved during the tribulation be or anyone that's saved during the tribulation. We know there'll be a lot of Jews because you have the 144,000. The rapture is a message of hope and comfort. The second coming is a message of judgment and woe and wrath. Which one do you want to be in? The rapture or the second coming? Any thoughts? Any questions? Do we see the difference? And like I said, we have a lot of churches today. And we may even have people in this church. That's, you know, I don't want to offend anyone. But we need to be careful that we're not promoting something that is not scriptural. And that was one reason I wanted to look at this. And then we we had it in our faith and practice that we believe this. Do we really know what we believe and how it is? I trust that we do. And if we don't, we have the scripture to look at and we can find the answers to these things. So let's be prepared because I don't think anyone wants to wait on the second coming. In fact, those who figure they can probably will not make it because we know that during the tribulation, anyone who does not worship the Antichrist, will be killed. Now, you're killed for your faith. You will be in heaven as the guests at the wedding, but you won't be part of the bride. Let's all be part of the bride.